Well, this morning I was, um, you know, of course, spending the morning praying about what to speak about this morning. And uh, as I was uh, walking around this morning, uh, Luann came up to me. And uh, she doesn't even realize it, but uh, she shared a story with me. And her story, would you believe it, is exactly what I'm preaching this morning. So she came up and she said, you know, I was at prayer meeting Sunday, or was a prayer meeting Thursday night, and God gave me a story from my childhood and I shared it. And I just thought God wanted me to share it with you. I'm not even sure why I shared it Thursday night, but everybody seemed to believe it really blessed them. So this story is exactly, and you'll see in a second, exactly what my sermon's about this morning. And I actually did not have an introduction. And I thought this morning, man, I guess I'll just go without an introduction to my sermon this morning. That's fine. And so now I have an introduction. But she was telling me a story about an uncle of hers, and I won't tell it as well as she did, but she had an uncle that was talking about very unusual defense mechanisms that a horse and a deer have. And I can't, uh, I can't, um, confirm the reliability of this nature, but it's a very interesting story as to their behavior. Uh, there was a horse, and how many, how many recognize that when you see a horse, it's a very powerful creature, big, strong, powerful horse. And this horse seen a snake. And the nature of the horse is to fear the snake. So the horse will become really erratic and run from a snake. Even though it's a powerful creature, much more powerful than the snake. But the nature of the horse is to run from the snake. We were talking about it one day, and she said her uncle was talking to her, and he brought up a deer. And he said, you know, the deer doesn't act like the snake, or the horse does when it sees a snake. And I didn't realize this because I've never seen a deer interact with a snake. But she said her uncle was deer hunting one day. And as he was deer hunting, he seen a, he was climbing up on a, precipice of a cliff and as he climbed up there he seen a a buck there a a, a big buck and he was acting real erratically on his hind legs and was stomping his hoofs down and he couldn't figure out what he was doing so he kind of watched for a second and after the deer had left the area went over to the area and noted that a timber rattler was in pieces on top of the cleft of the rock there and began to look at the nature of the deer, and evidently the deer, a timber rattler, has to curl up to strike. So when the deer sees that, as fast and nimble as the deer is, his defense mechanism is go up hind legs and hit it one good time with buff, and it would smash whatever um, backbone, I guess, a snake would have, and it has no ability to strike even though it's still alive. And then when it disables its ability to strike, it's still dangerous, but he keeps hitting it with his hoof until he chops it in pieces. Now I want you to think about that defense mechanism. Because the enemy is like that serpent. And God has called us to be like the nature of that deer. You know, the horse is more powerful than a deer. The horse is big, the horse is powerful, the horse could probably do what the deer does at greater probably efficiency because of its weight and its strength. And you know, God has called us to put the enemy under our feet. God has given us a defense mechanism that's only in Him that can wipe out the enemy. Now the title of my sermon is Defense Mechanism. Pretty good, huh? Lord knows what He's talking about. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> we want to talk about crushing the enemy in our life. Having a mechanism that is, is anointed by God to tear down every stronghold, to defeat the enemy at every turn, and not to use worldly ways to defeat the enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Paul, let me start at the very beginning here. Paul said, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when I'm face to face with you, but hold, but bold when away. I beg you when I come that I may not have to be bold as I expect to be towards some of you who think we live by the standards of the world. Paul says, when I come, I'm going to have to be bold with some of you, even though I don't want to be, because you're trying to live by the standards of the world. So start thinking about that. Paul doesn't want us to live by the same standard the world lives by. He goes on. For through, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So he's talking about they're living after the standards of the world, and then he says, we don't wage war like the world wages war. We do it different. So we've got to figure out what is it that we do different that the world doesn't do, because that's what we're being called to do here by Paul. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power that demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Some of your versions will say make it until we have maturity in Christ. Okay, so he's trying to mature us, grow us up in God, right? Trying to give us different weapons of warfare than we were born with. Because we were all born natural, right? He wants us to give us weapons that are not natural, that are supernatural. And let me read another version. This is a paraphrase, which is not a direct translation. It's trying to make you understand it in more common English, okay? It says, the world is unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles the way of the world. We never have and we never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing the entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against God's truth, and fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life that is shaped by Christ. Our tools are already at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives that are obedient to maturity. Wow. Think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Lord, give us weapons, Lord God, that the world doesn't have. Not our natural weapons we were born with, but supernatural weapons we were born again with, Lord. Weapons from you, Lord God. Your divine nature, let it be poured out in our lives, Lord. Help us today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. How many know that uh, we all have defense mechanisms? And if you define a defense mechanism and you look at nature, what you begin to see is almost all of nature has a defense mechanism. Like at the moment that you see an animal that is threatened, you begin to see what nature gave it as a defense mechanism. In fact, you can go all through um, nature. And you can just begin to see that God has equipped different animals with different kinds of defense mechanisms. And humans are the same way. You know, humans have different faculties physically um, that we can defend ourselves with. In fact, uh, humans have one component of our natural defenses that the uh, animal kingdom doesn't have, and that's our intelligence. So some of us are have no hope. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> some of us are impulsive. We just don't use it, right? Sorry. I had you on every word there. I'm sorry. But, you know, we have an intelligence that the animal kingdom doesn't have, but there's a lot of intelligence in the animal kingdom for defense. 
And God's given us ability to sometimes fight, sometimes flight. Sometimes we move away to protect ourselves, sometimes we move forward. And all types of ways physically that we defend ourselves from being hurt. Okay, we, we just all kinds of things, you know, if you're not a good swimmer, one defense mechanism is you stay away from water. Right? If you're, if you're not comfortable at heights, you kind of know intelligently, I kind of stay away from heights. Okay, uh, there's certain uh, neighborhoods, you have a certain instinct, I don't want to be in that neighborhood because I might be in danger. You know, there's all kinds of physical defense mechanisms, but here's the problem and here's what this is talking about. It's talking about philosophies in your mind. And it's saying that we have to have weapons to fight emotionally. Now all of us have defense mechanisms emotionally, how many know that you are you're in much danger, if not more, of being hurt emotionally as you are physically being hurt? And so our soul bears the marks of emotional damage. In fact, a lot of our decisions physically are based on the state or the condition of our emotions, the state or conditions of our mind, the clarity of our mind, uh, the decisions we make based on our philosophy of life. And what God is saying here is examine your defense mechanisms and see how you are deciding things in your life based on what you believe. Because he said the world is going to do it one way, but we don't do it that way. We never have and we never will. And the weapons of our warfare are powerful for bringing down strongholds. But it says the weapons of the world are basically insufficient. Like the things that we're going to run into, the dangers that we're going to encounter, our natural defensive mechanism, our natural philosophies, and our natural mind can't conquer these strongholds. And I believe that's why the world we live in, uh, a human being without God is going to have strongholds they can't defeat. You have no ability to defeat strongholds. You say, well, I could defeat everything because my mind is powerful. Just wait a little longer. You'll, you'll come to the conclusion really quickly that there are certain things I'm not smart enough to accomplish. Certain things that I can't beat in this life. Certain emotions that are, in fact, you'll, you'll at some point feel that structure that you built with all these pillars of intelligence around you and the structures holding really strong, and you're really confident as a young person, and you'll begin to see those pillars begin to crack. You'll see the foundations begin to break. You'll see stress begin to put a weight on that structure that it cannot hold. Because man was never enabled and never meant to live without God. I'm going to get into that in a minute, but let me go into some of nature here real quick. Defenses. Because it's really interesting, nature, nature becomes like, how many, how many really like superhero movies? It's like you don't really see what that superhero is until there's danger. It's like, oh my, what's this guy gonna do? Wolverine, what is his, what's his deal, man? He looks like a normal man. But he's not a normal man. I know he's a superhero. So it's like, Man, I can't wait till he gets in a little danger. So a little danger comes and it's like, whoa, razor blades out of his fingers. Wow. And it's like, and, and you just begin to see all these superheroes. But what's really amazing is nature is probably more fascinating than the superhero movies because God has equipped these animals. Let me, let me give you one example here. In fact, let me find God's uh, God's Wolverine, the hairy frog. Doesn't sound real scary to me, but I know I'm watching a superhero movie here, right? So I'm looking at nature, and I'm like, "Oh, this harmless little hairy frog. What's the big deal? We'll threaten him and see what happens." This frog has claws. 
It says, when in danger, the hairy frog cracks its own toe bones, pushes them through his skin, and forms sharp claws instantly. Absolutely great for scaring the living daylights out of a would-be attacker. Can you imagine seeing the little hairy frog? And all of a sudden he pushes his toe bones through his skin and looks fierce. He looks literally like a little wolverine and a hairy little frog. But this is his natural defenses to scare away the enemy. God has put that there in him to protect himself. Let me give you a few more. <clears throat> the northern fulmar is found in the subarctic regions of the north and the Pacific Oceans, North Pacific. The babies of the fulmar look cute and little and furry and fluffy. The chicks have a unique defense mechanism that makes them horrible to consume. When they're under threat from predatory eagles and bird watchers, the fulmar chick will projectile a stream of putrid, bright orange vomit all over the intruding creature's face. The oil of the vomit causes the feathers of the birds to stick together so they can no longer fall and they will fall to their death. So an eagle comes to get this cute little fluffy chick and it spits vomit all over and the eagle falls to the ground because its fur is all stuck together. Now how would you like to have that one? That's a superhero movie waiting, man. I wish I had that one. You know, if somebody threatened me or insulted me or emotionally disturbed me, then it's that putrid orange vomit would come from me. I, I, that would be an awesome, awesome way to do it. <laughs> How about the electric eel? The body of the eel, the organs have 6,000 specialized cells called electrocytes. They store power like tiny batteries. We could have used that on the platform this morning. Would have been great to have. It says, when threatened by prey, the cells discharge simultaneously emitting a burst of at least 600 volts. 600 volts from an electric bill. Wow. It's enough electricity to keep any predator it would encounter at bay. How about, let me give you a few more here. The bombardier, bombardier beetle. The beetle species has a hot toxic chemical spray. The beetle has two small glands located near the end of its abdomen. One gland produces hydrogen peroxide. The other one produces hydroquinone. When in danger, the chemicals mix in an explosive chamber in its body and more enzymes get added. The beetle then makes a loud popping sound and sprays the chemical mixture at its unlucky predator. It's like a fire-breathing beetle. It mixes the chemicals, explodes, and they're like, what in the world just hit me? I mean, this is like, uh, what's the what's the superhero with the fire? I mean, God has these uh, in creation, all these different defense mechanisms. How about the Malaysian exploding ant? Who would have thought something small and insignificant as ants would have such a deadly explosive self-defense mechanism? Like most ant species, they live in colonies. If a predator attacks their colony, groups of these exploding ants march up to the enemy Then they contract their abdomen, which causes venom-filled glands to rupture, spraying poison at the threat. The ants die too, but not before the enemy is taken down, no matter what enemy it is. The exploding ants. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Who after Taco Bell? (laughs) Here's one local, turkey vulture. The bat, how many have ever seen a turkey vulture? You've seen, if you've ever seen a turkey eating roadkill, you didn't see a turkey. Okay, they look a lot like a turkey, but it's a turkey vulture. The bad-mannered creature will vomit undigested meat from its stomach all over you if you venture too close to it. The vomit smells so terrible and it stings the skin and the eyes of any predator. Hence, the vulture has very few enemies, although they prefer to attack, enemies attack their eggs instead of the actual animal. So I've got about 
15 different ones here that have amazing, I mean, like I said, wouldn't you agree they're almost like superheroes? I mean, they're defense mechanisms. But what I found a lot more interesting is I I started looking up animals that have no defense mechanism. Isn't that kind of weird that God would put some on the earth and they just would have no defense mechanism? Let me give you an example, the rock badger. The rock, rock badger's means of protection is to hide in crags of rocks and use their unique coloring as camouflage to hide them from predators. The vulture or eagle must sweep down on the rock badger before he gets to the rocks. The badger is well aware where its security lies. If it goes to a field or a forest, they will be captured. They're unable to run very fast, and they have no defense mechanism at all. The only way for the badger to survive is to go to the rock. I want you to start thinking about that. I'm going to start preaching here in a minute. Some animals don't have defense mechanisms. They're kind of helpless unless they know what God has designed them to do. Now let me give you another one. Sheep. No defense mechanism. Man, that hurts, don't it? Because who does Jesus continually compare us to? Sheep. And the problem with sheep is they have no defense mechanism. The best they can do, honestly, is to gather in a little group and start spinning in circles. And as long as they can do that, they can kind of ward them off. Now they're really... They're, 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 in fact, it's amazing because they're just dumb. They're a dumb animal. In fact, I was reading one story where there were 1,500 sheep and one took off running to a cliff, fell off, a hundred fell on top of him and died, and the other 1,500, the remaining 1,400 were saved because they fell on the pile of dead ones. <laughs> it was like a big downy pillow because they all followed the one right off the cliff they all fell on a giant pillow of a, of dead sheep because that's just how dumb they are. And what God's trying to tell us is not that we're dumb because we're the most intelligent creature that God has ever created. We're made in the image of God. But he's, what, what He's trying to tell us is that if we don't trust God with our lives emotionally, we're just going to be destroyed. They're defenseless. They're dumb. And they're, they're, they're directionless. They have no direction whatsoever. They have no sense of direction. A sheep just has no ability to direct himself to where he wants to go. You know, if you le- left a sheep alone to wonder, the, you, you don't know where they would end up because they don't, they're not like another animal that can find their way back home. They're just a directionless animal. And so, what do you do with an animal that has no Defense mechanism. Well, this sheep, which is the example God tells us we are, the sheep really has to look to a shepherd. So there are a lot of things in our life that God says, you're just like the sheep. And if you don't have a shepherd, you're in for a lot of trouble. You know, you're gonna, if you want to try to do this on your own in life, and I was just thinking, I didn't write it down, but I was just thinking about every stage of life. You know, some people think, well, I get through this stage and the next one's going to be easier or the next one's going to be without any danger. And every age is different. You know, when you're young, you have certain things you're going to have to deal with and you're going to have to have God to help you through it. You're going to have difficult times. You're going to have hard times. Just imagine that sheep saying, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to find my own water. I'm going to find my own food. I'm going to go through every difficult terrain without a shepherd. And they would not, there would, no, there would be no way they would survive. And in life, as we go through this journey, we're going to go through so many hard times. You know, we're going to go through so many difficult times. It's just what life is about. And if somebody has an expectation that life's going to be different, you're just mistaken. Because there are a lot of emotional things we're going to have to press through. We're going to have people insult us. I mean, no, that's true. We're going to have people insult us. We're going to have all kinds of range of emotions. We're going to have depression. We're going to have opposition. We're going to have lost jobs. We're going to have grief. We're going to have all of those things because the sheep are not immune to a difficult life. 
It just says you have a shepherd that can take you through all of that rough terrain. He can give you water when you need it. He can feed you when you're hungry. But Paul talks here about human ways to deal with it. Like, you know, we don't, we don't deal with emotions like the world deals with emotions. We do it a totally different way. So what way is the world dealing with it? In fact, this is directly from a psychology book. And I know that's very unspiritual. But this psychology book, and most Christian people will agree, this is the, the book says this is the wrong way to deal with it. So let me ask you a question. When you go through life, and life gets really hard, because I'm not talking about physical danger. Let me know that we don't have the same physical danger that a deer has. You know, we're not talking about a poisonous snake. We're not talking about a hunter with an arrow. We're not talking about somebody threatening your life from day to day because in our society, we don't see that a lot. But what we are talking about is what happens when you get in a scenario where you feel a little bit of risk, when you feel a little bit of stress, when you feel a little bit of disappointment, when the way the things that you expected it to go, it doesn't go your way. What happens when a little something emotionally gets you out of whack? Do you handle it with the ways of the world or do you handle it with God's way? Now here's the wrong way to deal with it and everybody agrees. Seven common defense mechanisms that are in short term will help you survive but in the long term are very unhealthy. And we've got to avoid these mistakes. Number one is denial. Everybody agrees that denial might work in the short term, but is a terrible defense mechanism. And you say, man, and and see, these are the things that God didn't create you to handle problems with denial. He created a way and a defense mechanism for every animal on the planet. And you're created to handle Stress. You're created to handle fear. You're created to handle all these things through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're doing it any other way, it's going to be very difficult to ever have victory over a stronghold. In fact, I started seeing something with strongholds that really surprised me. I was praying about it. I was like, strongholds, God, what is it about strongholds you want me to say? And I always thought, how many have ever thought about strongholds this way? Man, the enemy trapped you. And a habit, an enemy's got you powerless to overcome him, and this stronghold is powerful, and we need God to tear it down. But something I realized is you know who is standing guard at the gate of this stronghold sometimes? You. Sometimes, and I, I never realized this, sometimes we built the thing. We built the thing to protect us. We built the thing because we think it's the best thing for us. And we build the stronghold with Satan brick by brick because we think it's the best for our life. And what God wants to do is He wants you to want to tear the stronghold down. He wants you to understand that you weren't created with that defense mechanism. Denial is not a defense mechanism. Listen to what denial's classic definition is. Denial is when a situation or fact becomes too much to handle, I will simply refuse to experience it. By denying reality, I'm protecting myself from having to face it and deal with unpleasant consequences and the pain that accompanies that. Denial. How many realize that this is a stronghold and we stand at the door and we protect our heart and we say, I don't want to deal with it, God. Now let me go back to this mighty, powerful horse. I told you it went right along with my message. The horse runs, but the deer takes care of the problem, right? Stomps right on the enemy's head. Now the enemy comes at you like this serpent, fearful. He's coming at you and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't face him today. And denial says, run from it. Don't ever deal with it. Don't ever deal with it. And and don't ever listen to somebody 
that want you to deal with it. Because you know what? God has made us powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. You say, man, I can't face life. I can't face tomorrow. I can't face the future. The only way that I face the future is because I know what the future is. The future is me living in eternity. The present is me living here and life is like a vapor. I'm so excited about eternity that I can face the future here. And if you don't have eternity and this is all you have, you're going to be depressed. If this is where all your expectation was, you're going to be depressed. But if your expectation and your hope is the world to come, and the fact that it won't be a little bit longer, it's only going to be a little bit longer, folks. It's not going to be much longer. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And some people can't get their heart out of this world. This world is full of disappointment, full of hopelessness. And if I lived in this world, I would be full of it. Some people say, I am full of it already. That's that's all right. But denial, God didn't call us to deal... Um, God didn't call us to deal with our issues through denial. Okay, the second... Repression. Repression is very close to denial. Denial just says, I don't want to deal with it. Just kind of puts it aside and says, I will not deal with any issues that that God says I need to deal with. But repression is, I'm not even going to retain it in my memory. I'm not even going to retain it in my memory. How many know that a lot of people live their life um, like this. You have so much bitterness and so much anger with the way you were raised, for instance. Like I was raised a certain way, and you're going to hold on to that for the next 30 years. You're still blaming mom and dad for everything that you're doing, and a lot of unforgiveness, and in fact, unforgiveness is a tree that grows limbs. And the limbs are hatred. The limbs are um, rape, anger, all of these different things that grow on this tree because you're still mad at somebody else from a long time ago. And what God wants to do is He wants to deal with that issue. Somebody may have abused you. And if you've been abused, you're angry. You're mad. You're bitter. And you say, you know what, I've got every reason to hold on to that. I've got every reason. You're behaving today based on what happened 30 years ago. And what God's saying is, let's deal with what happened 30 years ago. Let's forgive. And you say, no, I don't want to forgive. See, you're standing at the gate of the stronghold, and you're saying, I want to make them pay for what they did, and the only person that's paying is you. And what God wants to do, what God wants to do is He wants to open up that part of your heart. You say, well, if I forgive them, then what do I, ha- do I have to treat them different? No, you just have to forgive them. Sometimes it's not even wise to be in the same room with the person ever again. But what God wants you to do is quit treating people badly because you were abused 30 years ago. You know, a lot of times the abused becomes the abuser. Because they can't give up the hurt. Can't give up the pain. This is the emotional things that God says, change your defense mechanism. Because I'm defending my heart from being hurt again by acting this way. And God's saying, we don't do it like the world. We do it totally different. We don't do it through bitterness. We don't do it through anger. We don't do it through treating people a certain way because we were hurt. We deal with the love of Christ. We're going to mature like Paul said. He said, don't let me be bold with you. You're going to mature in Christ. We're going to do it different. Another one, displacement. All right. Put your seatbelts on. Not my definition. Have you ever endured a stressful day at work and came home and taken your frustration out on your loved ones? How about a time when you had an argument with your partner, then got in your car 
found your patience waning with every driver that was on the road. Listen to this. With displacement, you transfer your emotions from the person who is the target of your frustration to someone or something else entirely. Subconsciously, you believe that to confront the source of your feelings may be too dangerous or risky, so you shift the focus to somebody who is less intimidating or less dangerous to you. God's calling us out of that. That's the wrong defense mechanism. I mean, think that happens. I mean, think that people that you work with do that. It's like, man, you hate me, don't you? I mean, think your kids think that about their dad or think that about their mom. Like, why are you so mad at me? Why do you hate me? I've been there. How many have done that? You don't raise your hand. (laughs) I've done it. I've been frustrated about something else and got onto my kids or got onto my wife or my wife tore into me and just totally, no, I'm just kidding. She don't, she don't ever tear into me. I'm sorry. Mean enough. <laughs> but did you, did you recognize God is calling us to maturity? That's a well-known defense mechanism that I'm going to put my aggression on somebody else. I'm going to play them because I don't want to deal with this other issue. So we just go around and we're just like that horn, a little hairy frog. You know, we're running around with our claws all up, and they're like, what is your deal, man? And you're like, this is my defense mechanism. And they're like, I didn't even do anything to you. All right? It's like you're swinging these claws around, and they're like, I did nothing to you. But we're in defense mode. We think somebody did something to us, but we're mad about something else. We may may be mad about something 40 years ago, and we're taking it out on everybody around us. And how many know Jesus didn't do that? That's not a quality of Christ. And so we want to, it's not, you say, well, man, he's beating me up because I do it. No, what I'm saying is we're all trying to be perfected. We're all trying to be more like Christ. And so this message is how can I mature in that? I don't want to be that anymore. I want God to grow me. And we need to recognize it. Projection. Wow. Nobody says anything to you that is objectively negative. But your insecurity about yourself causes you to project your feelings onto other people. The feelings may become so intense that you caustically question, why are you even staring at me? Nobody's going to raise their hand on this one, I know. Do you project emotions on people that aren't even there? It's like, they're thinking this. They're like that. They're doing this. Everybody does that to me. Everybody does this to me. Everybody does that to me. That's a defense mechanism. You're walking in church like a giant hairy toad. I love it because I get to call people names every week and I get away with it. I couldn't individually call anybody a hairy toad, but in this message I can. But you're walking in, man, your toe bone smashed right through your skin. And you're like a bone to pick with everybody. Why are you staring at me? Why are you looking at me that way? I know that look. Well, it might have been the look that you got when you were a kid, but it's probably not the look you're getting at church right now. You probably projected that look on other people. And let me ask you this. What if it is that look? We weren't designed to have that defense mechanism. He said the world does it a certain way, but we do it totally different. We don't do it like the world. So my defense mechanism, even if they are thinking that, my defense mechanism is love. My defense mechanism is I want to be like Christ. How many know they did not like Christ? A lot of people mistreated him and ridiculed him. And what did he do? He loved them. So quit projecting it and getting angry when they don't even feel it. And then even if they do feel it, maybe they don't know how to deal with their emotions. Maybe they're in the same cycle we're trying to break out of. I know when it's quiet, it's either they're sleeping or it's good preaching. All right. Rationalization. No, actually, I'm, let me not go that yet. Regression. Can't miss that one. 
When stress comes upon you, you may find that your behavior becomes more childish. This is known as regression. With regression, you revert back to an earlier level of development. Listen to what a person may do. Instead of using conflict resolution, you stomp off, slam the door, or give somebody a cold shoulder. Remember, Paul is preaching about maturing in Christ. Now, I know this one probably has nothing to do with anybody here. So this I'm just going to throw in because you probably have a friend at work that does the cold shoulders. If you're doing a lot of cold shoulders, then you're dealing with it the wrong way. God didn't call us to deal with it with cold shoulders, stomping, slamming doors, kicking things, breaking things. God didn't call us to do that. That's a defensive tactic. That's where the hair just tears everything up. The claws come out. The venom starts, uh, the vomit starts being thrown on everybody. Every natural instinct that you have to defend yourself naturally comes out at that point. And you leave a trail of damage. Leave a trail with each one of these of broken relationships. In fact, if you have these defense mechanisms, you're just destroying everybody around you, including yourself, the worst. He doesn't want us to do that. You say, well, what if I'm one that does that? We're all. These are natural defense mechanisms that God said, I don't want you to use. I want you to do it a different way. So I'm in an argument. I can't stomp off and make my point. I can't cold shoulder. I can't refuse to talk. No, God wants you to resolve the conflict. God wants you to give a little, wants somebody else to give a little, wants us to be humble, humble and have humility. Rationalization. Rationalization occurs when you try to explain your bad behavior away. Oh, I'll deal with it, Pastor. I deal with everything. I deal with all of it, man. My problem, see, you don't understand. I'm trying to do some, some constructive stuff. When I walk away and I slam things, they know I mean business. And when I act childish, that's how I'm resolving conflict. And you know, you can rationalize all of your behaviors. Rationalization is a coping mechanism. And remember, every one of these, even if I weren't in a Christian church and I were in a psychology class, they would say every one of these have some type of temporary benefit, but long-term are very destructive. You say, well, when I walk out mad, that's how I do conflict resolution because I come back not mad. Well, yeah, you just ripped the door off the front of the house and you tore up everything in the house, but now you're better, we're all happy. Let's try to do that without ripping the house apart and slapping somebody on your way out. But that's how I deal with my, my anger. Well, maybe you need to deal with your anger before you tear the house apart. God didn't call us to do that. God called us to be mature. This Bible is full. I can't even go into it on a Sunday morning. I could just go on the superficial level of how we deal with anger, how we deal with relationships, how we cope with difficult situations. You say, well, I'm stressed. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. You're a Christian. We're called to do it different. Well, I can get mad if I want to. You can, but God won't be pleased with it. And we need to figure out, you know, how to mature in Christ because that's the goal. It's the goal is to mature in Christ. Sublimation. Sublimation occurs when you transform your conflicted emotions, unmet desires, or unacceptable impulses into a productive outlet. So, well, wow, that one sounds really good. It's sublimation where you go do something productive to avoid the conflict. Like I'm going to go running or I'm going to go jogging. And sometimes that can help you calm down. But the problem with this one is you never actually dealt with the original problem. It's just I'm going to go do something productive. Well, you may have, you may go out and do woodworking. You may build, you may actually replace what you tore up when you were mad. <laughs> you could do a lot of really productive things, but it's not necessarily dealing with the issue. So what God wants us to do, He wants us to tear down the stronghold. 
He wants us to remove ourselves from the gate. He wants us to understand that we were had a hand in building it. You know, that we built it for good reason. We built it to protect our emotions. We built it to protect ourselves. We built it because it was a defense mechanism. Can you see these defense, um, one of these well-defended homes back in those days? They would put a moat there. They'd put a wall around it. They would build a big fortress where they could look over the top of it. And what happens is in life, from the very youngest age, we learn how to build structure around our heart. We learn to build man-made defenses. I be a young man, I remember myself, the man-made defenses I built. You're going to think this is the dumbest thing in the world, but I figured if no man could beat me in a fist fight, I'm well protected. And just constantly thought about that. Who can whip me? Who can whip me? And go in public places and, and that projection is there. I used to walk into a public place and I would look at everybody's eyes and my wife will tell you when I was not a Christian man, I would say, man, he thinks he can take me. He thinks he can take me. Oh, and I did. Almost everybody I seen, I thought they thought they could take me. And I just started building these walls around me. And those walls were the things that kept God out. How could I raise my hands? A tough guy doesn't raise his hand. How can I say I'm sorry to somebody? A tough guy doesn't, isn't meek and humble. You know, how can I do this? How can I do that? Because I projected this mask and this image and these walls have kept God out of my life. And God came to me one day and said, you tear that down. You got to tear all this work that you built around your life down. You got to become the weakest man in the world if you want to be strong in me. And God is asking you today, tear down the strongholds. Listen to some of these scriptures. 1 Corinthians 3.20 The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. Now what does God think about the thoughts of the wise? He knows them. He says that they are futile. He knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Futile means that they can't accomplish anything. They can't accomplish what God wants to accomplish. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Romans 1.16 and 17 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the power of God to salvation to whoever believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. For in it the righteous of, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways his ways will become known. God is calling us in every situation in life to walk in faith. Now how many times when we get in a situation where we're stressed, we're afraid, and what does the enemy begin to do to our mind? The enemy begins to tell us to be afraid. The enemy begins to tell us to deny. The enemy begins to tell us to run. The enemy begins to tell us to rationalize. And then the enemy just gets so a hold of our mind, what do we do? We just fall apart. And God's saying that I want you to put your trust in me today. All that structure you built around me. Let me give you another one. I don't even know where I put it, but I felt the Lord really calling me to preach this one part today. And I don't even know where it's at, but I'll just tell you what it was. Sometimes the enemy gets a hold of us with self-pity. And it's a stronghold. I don't even want to be the one saying it because people are going to be mad that I'm saying it. But self-pity is one of those. How many know if you, if you really are afraid of rejection or abandonment, self-pity is one thing that will be attracted to your mind. And the enemy will help you build a structure out of that. And God wants you to be victorious. And because there's a structure and a stronghold of self-pity, you can't walk victorious sometimes. 
Because as soon as something happens that's traumatic or difficult or dangerous, what do you revert to? Self-pity. You would rather have somebody pity you because the emotions are satisfied than walk in victory and be a testimony. And I'm saying that because I love everybody here. I want you to mature in Christ. We don't need self-pity. There are times we're down and we need a friend, but there's also reverting to self-pity because it feels good. And God wants us to walk in victory. God wants to tear down those strongholds and He wants to remove you from the gate who are protecting your heart through false means. Things that won't help you, they'll hurt you. Things that will destroy you. Things that won't build you up, it'll, it's things that will put you down. And God wants to deliver you from that. God wants to give you the strength to be like that deer. He wants you to take your hoof. And he wants to slam it right on the serpent and cut him to pieces. Or you can keep running. But I invite you to stomp on the enemy. I invite, invite you to rear up and say, I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm not going to live downcast. I'm not going to live uh, depressed. I'm not going to live um, defeated. I'm not going to live in self-pity. And, I, and everything that's in me, you may not be an overnight success. None of us are. But everything in me is going to fight. Every resource that I have, I'm going to fight. I'm not going to run away from the enemy. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to back away. I'm not going to run from the enemy. I'm not going to let myself live from hurts that were 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago or 10 years ago. I'm not going to let old marriages destroy me. I'm not going to let uh, old hurts bring me down. I'm going to move forward in Christ, and my new defense mechanism is not all these false mechanisms of the world. My new defense mechanism is I will trust in the Lord. The Lord is a mighty tower. I'm a sheep that has lost my way. I'm a sheep that is blind and dumb and directionless, and I need a shepherd. And God, I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I'm not going to put my weight on anything false. I'm going to put all my weight on you. Even if I don't understand it, I'm going to follow you. If I don't understand it, I'm going to be happy. Even if I don't understand, I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have peace. I'm going to walk in you, Lord God, because it's the right thing to do and it's what you taught me to do and that's how I'm going to mature in you, Lord. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. If you'd bow your heads this morning, your eyes, I just want to ask you this morning, maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to the Lord. Every week we give an opportunity to give your heart to the Lord. If you've never done it, this is your this is your chance to raise and give your heart to the Lord. If you've never done it, this church is praying for you right now. Church, pray for this person. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, we want to ha- we want to lead you to the Lord this morning. And uh, all the things that you've been struggling with, all the things you're going through, God wants to hold your hand through every bit of that. God wants to strengthen you. The same thing that weakens you, God wants to use it to strengthen your life. He wants to make you powerful. He wants to tear down every stronghold. If you've never given your heart to the Lord this morning, I want to see your hand this morning.